Rob Purdy is an incredible entrepreneur. And I met him recently while doing his entrepreneur journey story and found it to be incredibly motivating myself. And he runs a company called Power to Motivate, which he's going to talk about today. Welcome, Rob. It's great to have you here. Yeah, thanks very much. I appreciate the opportunity to be on your show. So, Rob, uh, let's start by telling our audience about Power to Motivate. What do you do? Yeah, Power to Motivate is a global engagement platform. Uh, it was designed to, uh, to be a global product delivering engagement across multiple uh, stakeholders. So it delivers engagement for employees, sales channels, as well as uh, consumer loyalty programs. And um, am I right to assume or infer based on our previous conversation that you, your bulk of the business is in employee uh, motivation? Actually, no. It, it is split um, almost evenly today between employee and also sales and, and channel incentive loyalty. Uh, okay. And then we're also expanding very quickly into what I'll call consumer loyalty, uh, sort of the last prong in terms of uh, the key area we want to grow the business towards. Uh, and that area is growing very quickly. Okay. So um, maybe you could double-click down on all three of those, you know, business areas that you are in and elaborate a little bit. What does it mean? What does employee motivation mean? What does sales and channel motivation mean? And, and what is your vision for consumer motivation or consumer loyalty? Sure. So employee engagement or employee recognition is really about uh, driving the correct behaviors with employees, trying to encourage them to do uh, things that will obviously benefit the company. So tracking those behaviors is key. Uh, but it's really a process of recognition. It's a process of saying thank you, and it, it really starts from the top down. Uh, so there's a management interface to encourage management to, to take the lead uh, and drive that uh, thank you process uh, throughout the organization. And, and it's quite amazing when a company really embraces the whole concept of engaging their employees and going through a process of setting these kinds of programs up, uh, it is transformational for companies. And as a result, they, with a higher level of engagement, uh, you're obviously increasing productivity, you're making employees more conscious of their behaviors and their outcomes, uh, and you're tying that into uh, a benefit. So ultimately, they'll earn points based on their performance, uh, and they can convert that into something that they want for themselves. Uh, that's not discernibly different to channel and it's not discernibly di different to consumer. It's really just the types of tools we use. So on the sales and channel incentive side, what we're really developing there are, are much more, I could say, complex metrics rules engines that allow us to go in and track sales metrics, uh, maybe multiple different metrics, uh, such as sell this um, this week and sell 10 the next week. and and again, um, you can bring in different SKUs and different types of, of sales metrics to measure all of that. Uh, so we have a very complex rules engine that we've developed that uh, allows companies to do that tracking automatically, and then it ties back into uh, a piece that either is, um, again, a, um, an outbound communications tool uh, to instantly notify people that they've hit a threshold. Uh, they might also earn game tokens um, towards gamification. Uh, and that might lead into additional points and additional benefits for them. So the sales component is, is, is a little different in that we're tracking a specific discipline around sales effort. Uh, and consumer loyalty is, is, is similar again in that what we're really doing there is tracking consumer behavior 
Uh, what have they purchased? What are their purchase behaviors? Can we get them to come to the store once more uh, in a week? Uh, can we get them to enter into a category of purchase that they haven't historically um, purchased? And how can we use that data to better help the store or the, mm -hmm. the consuming public to, to buy things and earn more points and, and become greater engaged with that particular um, retailer, whether it's a bank or, or any other retail outlet uh, around the world? And where did you start? What was, where, what was the genesis of the business? How did you get the idea? And what was the idea around which you started? Yeah, the business really started um, uh, back in 1998 uh, when we were asked to put together a program for a pharmaceutical company uh, that was really around creating engagement within their uh, major uh, distribution partnerships and ultimately down to the retail store. And in the early, early days like that, it, it, there wasn't a lot of technology. In fact, there wasn't any technology. And the objective was for us to build a, a technical platform to do the tracking and reporting and to communicate back out to the uh, participants uh, in the various stores and, and in the distribution channels. So we built really probably one of the first ever um, online platforms, incentive platforms to do that automation. It was so successful, we were able to sell it to a number of companies really quickly and the, the company quite frankly just kind of mushroomed from there. Um, and, and that really was the genesis, was that initial conversation with the president of that company. Mm -hmm. And uh, you've done a phenomenal job bootstrapping this business. How did you financially, how did you manage to get it going and, and what was the trajectory? So the, yeah, the, the, the bootstrapping component was for us uh, being as small as we were in the early days, uh, there wasn't a lot of opportunity for funding and technology funding was, was pretty, um, you know, pretty minute in those days. So we really built it one client at a time and the technology, when you build, like, when you build technology like that, it, it does take longer to get from point A to point B, uh, but ultimately you're using your dollars a lot more wisely uh, because they're, they're certainly scarce resources. And uh, we tended to do things um, you know, in terms of really planning ahead on what the technology was going to do next how we were going to get there, what clients were going to help us get there, and it really was a process of adding clients, adding more capability. Uh, and the good news was that we were able to accelerate client growth and adoption really quickly, and that, that obviously helps immensely. Uh, from a trajectory point of view, I would say we started out in, in 98 with a couple small clients. By 2000, we had eight or ten uh, customers up and running. We were a relatively small tech company with maybe $5 million in sales in those early, early days. But by 2008, just part of the recession hitting, we had taken the company up quite a bit, probably towards, you know, 12, 15 million. So it wasn't a massively quick growth. But after that time, we launched a product uh, called Power to Motivate, which was in those early days, Power to Motivate didn't exist. And really the change point for us was moving from a legacy platform to SaaS. Uh, and that was the change point in 06 when we started developing that product and we launched it in 07. And that's when trajectory from really 08 on, uh, the company quite frankly mushroomed. We, we've been growing about 45% a year uh, since that date. And we've seen a kind of no end in that, um, in that growth rate. So there are three points basically. You're the first Five, six years, you did about five, got to about five million in sales. Then by about 2007, you got to 11, 12, 13 million in sales. And then you hit the real inflection point where it took off with the SaaS platform. 
Exactly. And there was a, a couple years in that time period where, you know, things may have been a little bit flatter than 45, but for the most part, and if you look at the last five years, we've, we've averaged uh, 45, not only growth in sales, but uh, growth in profit. Actually, profit's been slightly ahead of sales, which is great. So we've been able to maintain profitability, grow the business, and um, and build something that, quite frankly, people really like. They, they love the platform because mm -hmm. of its multiplicity and the fact that it can service you know, multiple stakeholders within a single company. And that, that seems to be a big differentiator for us as well. So um, talk about the organization. I mean, the company that you were building in the beginning sounds like a slightly different company. The company in the middle was also a slightly different company. And then now you have a, you know, cutting-edge SaaS company. So what about team and how did your, your organization evolve? And you're doing this in Canada, right? Yeah, we're based uh, just outside of Toronto. Uh, we have 95 people now in the organization in Toronto. We have, uh, because of our global footprint, we have another 40 people internationally around the world that, that work in various parts of the business. Um, the primary group out of Toronto is, is kind of split between about 50% of the team is technical development. So there's a 50-person tech team roughly in the Toronto office. And beyond that, they're split out into finance, uh, and we have two platforms, so we have a customer support team for both platforms, uh, as well as a technical development team for both platforms, and that's what makes up the bulk of the employee group uh, in Toronto. And what about business model? What, uh, what business model did you start with, and then how did that evolve, and what is it now, including what kind of average deal size are we talking about today? Yeah, so the, the business model hasn't evolved too, too much. We, being a bootstrap company, uh, again, going back to the limited resource comment, we really had to do things in a way that we could create synergy and grow quickly. And, and the best opportunity for that to happen was to create partnerships. Uh, so we really developed a, a fairly refined channel strategy uh, and, and essentially went out and licensed the platform. Being SaaS, it was modeled perfectly for that. And we build a uh, sort of an admin interface, uh, and and through basically the ability to use the admin interface, our clients were able to segregate all their customers within one single interface of the application, and then grow their business exponentially. And our job was to do the upgrades, put in additional software capability, as well as host uh, and provide all of the security and, and IP protection uh, that's required. So that model has worked extremely well, and along the way, we, we did secure a number of direct clients. Uh, and it's not to say we don't have a direct model as part of that, we do, but we blend the two together, uh, and we work very closely with our partners to make sure we don't step on toes to, through the sales channel process. But uh, at the end of the day, the market is such a, a big and growing market, we rarely run into each other, and when we do, we amicably work through the process. So it, it's a good model, and it's been uh, I would say all our partners like the model as much as we do, and, which is great. So we get lots of support. And there is a And this you're talking about the SaaS business, the current SaaS business. Correct, yes. Today we're 100% SaaS. And what, uh, what is the average deal size of the business, of the SaaS business? So you would, I guess, it, uh, depending, in our channel partnerships, they generally will be hitting deal sizes anywhere from $100,000 to $500,000. Um, mm -hmm. We have closed deals as large as $50 million. Um, We don't do a lot of those, but when they come in, they're great. 
Uh, and we, but you know, you look at again a 500,000 deal to a million dollar deal. You know, the marketplace that's pretty typical of what we call a medium, small to medium sized client. Uh, a middle market client would be you know one to three, one to four million, and then larger clients are typically five million plus. Uh, so the growth and, can come pretty quickly once you get those clients. And is that a subscription deal, or are we talking about transactions? Yeah, so that's a good point. So there's of that. Um, let's just use a simple number of million dollars. Of that million dollars, it would likely be a roughly a 10% subscription cost uh, for the technology. And then above that would be the reward spend because we're in the business of delivering rewards and benefits to the people that earn the points within the system. So usually it's about 85 to 90% of the spend will go back into the reward component. Uh, and again, we provide the rewards within the Power to Motivate platform as well. Uh, so we have a secondary um, profit margin built into the reward capability that we deliver to our channel partners. And the, the products that generate your transaction business, the retail business almost, uh, are those physical products exclusively or are there other digital products as well? Uh, there's, yeah, there's definitely a lot of digital products in there. So gift cards is a good example that gift card industry has gone digital virtually around the world. Uh, so we are now operating uh, digital rewards for gift cards in a, over 100 countries. Uh, we do that for uh, e-books and music and movies, um, uh, sorry, uh, mobile top-up uh, for phone uh, conversion. All of that's done digitally around the world. And we also have physical merchandise and physical goods and services that we deliver in 180 countries, and that's been built out through several hundred partnerships um, that supply the merchandise and do the delivery. All of that is done on an in-country basis. So um, if you, you know, just to close up this, this part of the conversation, the two phases that you went through before coming to SaaS, how did you acquire customers and what was the business model? Before coming to SaaS? Is that yes. Yeah. The, like so the 1998 the to 2003 period, what was the business model and, and how did you go to market, for example? Yeah, I think, well, we literally leveraged the initial client and, and the capability that we developed for that client, and that allowed us to have conversations with some fairly large telcos, uh, all located in Canada. So, so we direct. Yes, we did sell direct, um, and we landed a number of clients, probably eight or ten clients within those first couple of years that were pretty substantial. Um, Canada's largest telco, Bell Canada, um, we worked with Chrysler in those early days. And those mm -hmm. larger clients... Um, they really like the platform. They like the concept of being able to provide that that digital content to their to their uh, dealers, uh, whereas previously everything was mailed. Uh, so converting in those days was fairly easy on a direct basis. But adding new clients in a legacy platform was really the stumbling block. Uh, it was a slow, very costly process. Uh, it, it didn't allow us to be really endeared by our clients because of the time and energy and cost to take the next client to market. And, and that was really the genesis behind the next evolution when we moved to SaaS. So one thing you mentioned in, uh, as you were describing the channel strategy of the SaaS business that I would like you to elaborate on, if you would, uh, is sure. channel conflict. So you are yeah. selling direct and you're selling through channels. How do you, this, is, this would be a very good educational segment for our uh, audience, how do you manage channel conflict? 
So the sales teams work with the, so we have a channel sales team that is separate from the direct sales team. Uh, so one thing we do is keep keep them separated, and but we also keep an open door on communication, and that's really critical. Uh, we encourage our partners to share their leads with us. If they do, we promise and contractually agree not to uh, obviously divulge any of that information externally, but we use it internally uh, to make sure that we're not in conflict with any of our direct sales efforts. And if, and typically what happens in those situations is there's a, this is a long tail sales cycle product, uh, particularly for larger enterprise clients. It, it can take upwards of 18 months in the sales environment to close some of these larger deals. So there's plenty of time to have dialogue. There's plenty of time to talk about what's coming up next and to make sure that we're not stepping on toes uh, through the sales cycle. So our team has become very good at that. Our clients over time have learned to trust us. Um, you know, that trust is earned and it, it takes time to build trust with your partners to the point where they will give you that really critical information. And obviously we share that in a, in a, within Salesforce uh, to track all the leads and we track who's managing those leads and what partners are there to avoid the conflict. So everyone goes in, checks their Salesforce accounts and makes sure that we're not uh, double stepping on those clients. Okay. All right. So, um, so we got a sense of the business. We got a sense of how you got here, your business model, and so forth. Where do you go from here? What would you like to do with you? You're at about what 80 million top line right now, yeah. right? Yeah, we'll be. I think we'll be above that by the end of the year. And um, you know, our expectation next year is you know we want to hit a 150 mark. That's our that's our objective. Uh, mm -hmm. The reason, I think the, where we go from here, it's a great question. Uh, we've been working uh, very hard in cloud services to really take our products outside of the sort of what I'll call the enterprise or traditional market and shift it into the sales forces of the world and different, different cloud channel distribution partnerships. And we've been getting some initial traction that's, that's really positive. And so we see a big investment ahead for us to, to really hone the product uh, and build up what we call the best-in-class tool set that can be instantly implemented, uh, not dissimilarly to, um, you know, things like Sage and, and, and different products like Slack, uh, where you can go in and, and with the click of a button launch the entire program. So for us, that product development has been underway um, probably for about 18 months, and we've been mm -hmm. launching, quietly launching uh, a number of new products within the, those environments and getting some great traction uh, in the early stages. And, and we find cloud services to be really intriguing because of the massive scale and the network and the networking that you can do within a really tight group of, of different companies. And what we're also finding is we're getting a lot of new channel partners that are coming up through that network, which is an entirely segregated group that we've never dealt with before. So it's really looking at, at different ways for your product to get to market and, and taking advantage of those, those bigger channel opportunities like a Salesforce um, that opens up a lot of doors very quickly. Mm -hmm. You know, um, you have done what we, in, in the One Million by One Million program, we constantly promote as a mantra, which is bootstrap first, raise money later, and you haven't even raised money yet. However, you put yourself in a position where I bet you're being hounded by investors continuously. So 
So uh, it's yes. uh, you know it, it, it's it's great to be in that position. We constantly tell our entrepreneurs like, do not go to investors as beggars, go as kings. Because right. you know if you're going without proof and 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 just kind of going with you know half baked things, then you go as a beggar. But you are obviously in a position where the investors are chasing you. Do you have thoughts about um, taking any of that money that is chasing you right now? Uh, well, yeah, I, I think at some point, you know, you know, different factors kick in, not just simply the operating the business, but you, know, you look at, at, at different stages in your life. And I think that's really, we've operated this business for 28 years. It's been many things yeah. in that 28 year cycle. And I think for all entrepreneurs, we kind of live in a nervous world where you don't know what tomorrow is going to bring. You don't know what's going to happen. And at some point, you do want to take some of that money off the table. Um, you've right. kind of gambled for, you know, if you're in it for the longer term, like uh, what we have done, and, and we really do prophesize. I think you're right. I think sometimes, I think many times, actually, young entrepreneurs take them take too much too soon uh, and then find themselves uh, in a, with a product that may not necessarily grab a lot of value. If it does grab value, it may not even succeed in the longer term. So it's it's really important to to think about the business more from the purpose of why are you in it. And if you're in it to grow a lifestyle for yourself and your family and and make really a statement around being able to grow the business and give quality work, which we do, our, the jobs we create in this industry, as you know, are, are some of the best jobs in the world. And, you know, we take great pride in that. And so there's a big part of that. But I think at some point you get to an age uh, where I am where you say, great, it's time to take some of that money off the table, Absolutely. take some of that risk away. But you don't want to give it all away either, to your earlier point. So we're certainly entertaining ideas around doing a kind of a, uh, a two-part deal, uh, do an early stage investment that can allow us to get some benefit from what we've built because, you know, people will pay for that today, as you know. And then also take uh, a round of investment where we can really dramatically improve the technology, improve maybe even the sales capabilities yeah. that we have, and, and really expand the product in a way that would take us to a billion-dollar company. And I really believe this business can be that next um, unicorn where we can be a billion-dollar company. So, folks, those of you who are listening, this, by the way, the, the financial engineering of these kinds of deals is very well understood. You know, when you have a proven product that the market has appetite for, there is steady revenue, steady profitability. There are lots of investors, private equity investors, late stage uh, venture capital investors are also doing this nowadays. They will be happy to do this kind of two-part deals where the founders or the management team get a certain amount of liquidity for all the years of work that they have put in and then bring in also some amount of growth capital to take the company to the next stage. So um, if you get to that stage, your options are infinite and your negotiating power is also infinite. And, and that's one of the things I love about when I cover stories of entrepreneurs who have gotten to that stage is that how they are in the driver's seat, not the investors. And I'm, you know, I'm a complete sucker for entrepreneurship's, you know, success and, you know, negotiating power in the heart, hand of the entrepreneurs and not the investors. So, so Rob is totally my hero. Well, thank you. 
So one question, last question, Rob. I know you have to run. Uh, you have recently started with working with a one million, million by one million portfolio company that we introduced you to. Please tell us about this partnership. I hear from Raj Iyer on the other end that it's going very well, and he's he's quite thrilled to be working with you. So please tell us how it's going from your end. Yeah, I, I, I must confess I'm not as close to it. I did connect him uh, with our partner and our well, we have a gentleman review based out of um, out of Chennai. So they've been connected through myself and and they're working I think in establishing his products within our reward portfolio. Uh, and then a secondary thing came out of that conversation, which was actually reselling our software. So it, it's it's interesting. These connections can lead to so many other things and. So we're quite grateful for that. Thank you, and and I think it's it, it improves our product, and ultimately we're providing them with a, a service that they can resell in in the India market, which for us is a huge opportunity uh, to enter that market. So the one of the things that uh, you know, just to elaborate a little bit on what this partnership is about, is that the company, the One M One M company, is a marketplace of custom products. So they have, you know, thousands of artisans and custom product manufacturers, designers and manufacturers in their marketplace. And a, you know, nice part of their business has now become corporate, um, you know, rewards basically, corporations, both for corporate rewards as in employee recognition kind of rewards as well as sales. And like Rob has described, he has the software platform and the uh, benefits management process. So these guys have the products themselves. So that's what this, the basis of the partnership is, is that um, Power to Motivate is, is a very large um, you know, channel for the little company in our portfolio to sell their uh, artisans, artisanal products and, and custom-made products into the corporate customer world. And, and I, I know that I introduced them to Rob within Hours, Rob introduced um, them to the person in Chennai in India, and within literally within three days, there was a deal in place, and now they're generating significant revenue on a monthly basis. So through this partnership, so I have to say, I'm it kind of made my day. The whole thing as it unfolded, and I learned about it just last week. I learned got a status report on how this is going. It just thrilled me to bits, absolutely. That's great. Yeah, it's, it's great for us. Thank you. So, Rob, last um, wrap-up question. How are things developing in Canada in terms of entrepreneurship right now? How are the new entrepreneurs, young entrepreneurs developing? How is the ecosystem developing? Actually, it's, it's fantastic here. I mean, there's um, across the country, there's just more and more innovation and technology taking off and, and entrepreneurialism is, is really strong here. I, I think the, you know, we've always been, I think, a leader in developing technologies and, and that has proven itself over the years, certainly in bioscience and other categories as well. So there's, there's tremendous opportunities here. I think it's an interesting economy because we do get a lot of government support through things like scientific research and development tax credits. Uh, we've used that since 2002 to help develop our product. Uh, and, and those types of programs are unique um, you know, to really only a handful of countries around the world that, that provide that kind of benefit. Mm -hmm. So, yeah, things are very good. Do you invest 
in those little companies? I don't. Um, I, I have enough on my plate <laughs> right now just, just operating our core business, and I just haven't had time to kind of take myself away from that and look at other opportunities. I, I'd like at some point to, to do that, I think, as, as we look at the stage two, um, you know, next steps for ourselves. Uh, that's always in the back of my mind being something I would really like to do. So we had uh, Greg Bessner last week or the week before who's also a successful entrepreneur who does a little bit of angel investment on the side, not too much, just, you know, maybe a one or two deals a year. And he, he introduced himself on that con, uh, topic. He introduced himself as a dumb investor. And he says, you know, small VCs whom I compete with or whom I talk to are, are seeing 2,500, 3,000 uh, investment opportunities a year. And I hardly, you know, look at, I don't have time, I'm running my companies, I hardly look at a few that I know really well, and I invest very few. And I kind of countered that by saying, as far as I'm concerned, if I were an entrepreneur looking for money, I would want you more than these professional investors just because the level of depth of operational skills and experience that you bring to the table is of much bigger value to me. So. I, I hope you do uh, in start investing at some point and coaching entrepreneurs uh, as they travel through their journeys. Thank you, Rob, for coming today. It was a great yeah, story. Thank you. Thanks very much.